Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. The new season's upon us and the Reds started with a 3-0 win at Carrow Road against Norwich. I'm joined, as always, by James and Max to discuss a fantastic start to the season. Um, James, Max, how are we guys? Yeah, not too bad. It's, uh, I think we had a better weekend than some title challenges, but yeah, um, just buzzing for it to be back and long may it continue. Not 20 seconds in and James is already getting the digs in. I love it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Had a great weekend. Um, always uh, always happy to see Liverpool win and Manchester City lose. So, yeah, can't really go wrong, can we? Yeah, it was pretty perfect from a, from a Liverpool perspective, wasn't it? So let's get straight into it. 3-0 win, as we say, away at Norwich. Goals from Diogo Jossa, Bobby Firmino and Mo Salah. How did we how did we view the game and the performance in itself? Uh, I just felt like we, we didn't get out of second gear all game. Uh, I felt apart from the Allison triple save he had to make right towards the end. I don't really think they caused us that many problems. Um, I just I just think it, it was a bit of a throwback to the title winning season where Liverpool were just in total control of the game. You never thought for a second we were going to lose. Um, and you just knew even at 1-0, you know, that there was going to be more goals coming. Um, and yeah, just really impressed by how they've turned up and how Van Dijk looks as well. Um, Matip played really well again and nobody put a foot wrong. And I guess that's all you can ask for, considering it's probably the first time this starting eleven has played. You know, didn't I don't think they played together in pre-season and obviously a lot of them were out last season. So um, yeah, it's good to see them all uh, getting along. Yeah, I'd echo that. Um, I'm always nervous at nil nil and one nil with Liverpool. Doesn't matter what, how the game's going. Um, I was very very relieved when that second goal went in. I um, felt about fifty pounds jump off my shoulders when uh, when that happened. Um, in terms of the performance, I think the midfield could have done a little bit better at controlling possession at times. But you know. Considering we had all three of our midfielders, who I doubt are going to be starters when everyone's fit. That's understandable. Mane looked back to his best, which was, I think, the biggest bonus. I mean, Mo Salah was amazing, but you always expect Mo Salah to be amazing. Like, that's just sort of become his thing now. But Mane was back to, you know, taking on his man and shooting. And, yeah, I I really like the look of Mane. I still maintain Jota is not the best in that um, in that number nine role. I think he's much more comfortable off the left. Um, he's not as happy dropping into midfield and knitting possession together as Bobby is. But he still did really well. Uh, Costa Simicas, um, I quite liked how Jurgen Klopp um, uh, described it. I think he said that he had played really well and then someone um, like pulled the plug or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I think defensively he was a bit suspect at times, but I really like his overlap and um, he's got good feet. He's got really good feet. He um, he beat Cantwell a couple of times going down the wing. Um, Rashidza for Norwich causes a few problems. He looks like a talent. If Norwich go down, I wouldn't be surprised if he was our classic relegation signing of the window. Um, uh, I think if anyone remembers, he was on my list of forwards. I wouldn't have minded Liverpool looking out for depth. Um, but yeah, yeah, overall, really happy 
Um, good way to start the season. And, uh, you know, certainly not a 1-0 loss in North London. So, um, yeah, always good. Absolutely. I think three points, first game. Can't ask for more than that. And, you know, 3-0 three, three win as well. Do you think, James, having the crowds back, as we know, we're now back at full capacity, crowds for the first time in over a year um, because of obviously the pandemic, the likes of Bobby Firmino, Sadio Mane, they looked, at, they looked a bit sharper, even though it was an away crowd, still having something to feed off. And obviously the, the, the travelling contingent from Liverpool were making themselves really loud as well. Do you think that helped? Yeah, I think it does. I think it is it is crazy to think that players these days, you know, wouldn't be able to turn it on for a crowd, but some some players do and some players don't. I think, you know, Mane went on that dreadful run last season. We had fans in home for the final day of the season and he goes and scores. Um, so it, it, it is just one of those. I think Bobby thrives off an atmosphere. Um, he likes to, to you know, to, to pen the players in and, I think for a lot of players, it must be hard to get up knowing you're basically just going into a practice match. Even the sounds that were coming through the sound systems, the fan chants, they were out of sync. So you'd score and then that'd start cheering five seconds after you scored. So just wasn't the same thing. And, and I think, you know, that can go down onto the pitch. And yeah, especially those two, like you just mentioned, those two need the, you know, need an atmosphere, needs to go into a bit of a hostile situation to get the best out of them. And um Hopefully, you know, crowds are in for the rest of the season and hopefully they can play the way they did on. Because even Firmino only, you know, came on in the second half, but he was right at it the minute he came on and he looked completely different to how we did last season. He wasn't just jogging around the pitch or pressing half-heartedly. He was really going for it on Saturday, which was was good to see, especially from him. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Um I think Mane and I think Firmino in particular really, really thrives off um, playing in front of a crowd because, you know, so much of his game is about, you know, um, flair on the ball and, you know, taking those little touches that people don't see and little no-look passes and stuff like that. And he knows that people love it when he does stuff like that. And he loves playing out with the celebrations of his goals and stuff like that. So I reckon every time you see a little heel flick or a drag back or a, you know, a little elastico or something like that from him, um, and that little cheer goes up from the uh, from the crowd or an ole or something like that. I reckon that just really pumps him up, and uh, yeah, I'll be very interested to see the performance levels differing um, between Bobby last season and arguably um, the season before. Um, and this season as well, but he started brightly, and I hope that continues. And we've already touched a little bit on obviously Costas Timikas coming into the team, his first ever Premier League start. I think last season he only got six or seven minutes of Premier League football in the whole campaign. So having the whole ninety is obviously a massive, a massive difference for him. Andy Robertson, we've seen his back in training, but we probably won't see him before this September international break if we're to believe what was reported at the time of the injury. What did we think about his performance? Obviously, Max has already said maybe he's a little bit defensively suspect, but do you think it's more just because he needs to get up to speed with a Premier League game, which he's had basically no experience of? Yeah, I, I think for somebody to come into a team like Liverpool, the way they press, the way they push up, push up the pitch, to have only played six minutes and then get thrown in against a team who have just come up from the Championship, who are going to be up for it, 
I did sort of expect him to maybe make one or two mistakes, but listen, I think going forward, I think we've seen, you know, the reason why Jurgen Klopp's brought him in, as Max alluded to before, really quick with his feet. And it's nice to see that we've got another fullback that can put a decent cross in. I think every corner he took, you know, always beat the first man. It always looked a dangerous set piece. Um, There's a few times he got in around the back of Norwich and he put a decent ball into the box. So overall, you know, I think he's going to be, he could be a valuable squad, a squad player for us, especially if, you know, we do try to push deep into all four competitions. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is what Liverpool, you know, Jurgen Klopp especially loves is the love of fullback who's really quick going forward and has, has just got that pace to get back as well and cover his, his, you know, his teammates when, when Norwich are on the counter-attack. But the one or two small errors he made, I know there was the one where he gave the ball away just on the edge of the box. That was probably the, the biggest mistake he made. But, you know, I'm sure a couple of the lads probably made a few jokes about that in the changing rooms and it's, it's quickly forgotten. But all in all, I think for six minutes, that's all he's had last season and pre-season. Um, I think he played really well in 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 that back four. I think it depends on the um, on the situation. Like the reality is, is that the biggest issue I saw with him um, was sort of calmness on the ball under pressure. There were a couple of times, including the one that James mentioned there, but also one I think the ball was running back towards our goal and he tried to pass it in field with his right foot and just completely mishit it. Um, uh, I think that was in the first half and it led to a Norwich counter-attack. I think he's just got to sort of slow down a little bit when he's on the ball. I think sometimes his brain can get ahead of his legs or vice versa. Um, and yeah, he I, he's not perfect as you would expect of any backup left back, but I liked his willingness to overlap, um, created some really good width, dovetailed quite nicely with Mane. Uh, his deliveries, as James said, looked really, really decent. Um, Set-piece delivery was nice. Um, and we know he can defend. Like, he can. We've seen it at Olympiacos, particularly against Arsenal in the um, in Europe. He was absolutely fantastic against them. And really did the both sides of the fullback game really well. So if he can reflect performance levels around that, I'd be very happy with him as a backup. Yeah, and we obviously saw James Milner give him a little bit of a slap to kind of wake up a little bit. So if he's um, got him and the team around him very often, I'm sure he'll get up to scratch pretty quickly. Um, perhaps the biggest kind of team news on the day was that Virgil van Dijk was obviously starting. Um, we've seen him in a few friendlies during preseason, but I don't think anyone really thought he would start a Premier League game this soon, given the nature of his injury. So obviously it was a massive boost having him back. Do you think, as well as his obvious presence in a defensive capacity, we know he's probably the best centre-half in the world. He's definitely the best centre-half in the league, I'm sure we'd all agree. His role in an offensive sense can also really help this season. We're used to seeing him get the ball at his feet and play pinpoint passes you know, directly to the front three, which we obviously lost when he was out. And also causing chaos in Norwich's box, maybe the, for the Salah goal meant that Salah was in a bit of space that he may not have found otherwise. How much of an impact do we think Van Dijk's going to have going forward as well as what we already know he's good at at the back? Yeah, it's going to be massive. Like you've just said, the, the way he, he distributes the ball, you know, as a centre-half. Breathtaking at times. I mean, there was a few times in the first half where he pinged the ball straight to Salah and Salah didn't even have to move. It just landed straight at his feet. And 
you know, just like you know, Max said about Simakas, where he, you know, doesn't look comfortable under pressure with the ball at his feet. Van Dijk's just the complete opposite to that. He, you know, he doesn't mind getting the ball with you know somebody chasing him down. You know, he, he just looks so confident. Um, and I think you know, no disrespect to the players we had last season. I know Max isn't the biggest Reese Williams fan, but with him and and Nat Phillips, you know, do you really? See them. Well, we we saw them last season. They didn't really you know not thirty yard passes out to Mane's feet or thirty yard passes to Salah's feet. So then you're having to play through the midfield, and then everyone just crowds the midfield. And I think that's what really hurt us last season. And having somebody who will just chest the ball down and ping it forty yards gets you back up the pitch, takes the pressure off you. And yeah, I just think as soon as I don't know, it's just something about him. It's it's as soon as he was on that pitch, everybody else. You know the confidence levels went from six out of ten to ten out of ten. When you when you know Norwich are on the counter attack and you've got someone like Van Dyke behind you, you know you, you don't really panic. And Allison, apart like I said, apart from that triple save, never really had some anything to do. And I think that that's got a massive part to Van Dyke. Yeah, I mean he obviously is not at completely optimum level yet. I mean it'd be weird if he was, to be perfectly honest, given. Um, it's his first proper competitive game back, but, you know, made it through the whole game. Um, his passing range was there for all to see. Um, he's so technically gifted for a centre-back. Um, he's got pace. Um, he looks like the speed is still there, which is a huge part of his game. Um, uh, you know, his recovery pace is just massive. Um, still great in the air. Um, it's interesting. I, I noticed that um, pretty much any opportunity that, Norwich had to hit it long, they hit it straight over to Matip's side, which considering the size of Matip um, is a real compliment to uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk. It's not very often that you get any team in any situation picking out Joel Matip as the person to compete with for a long ball. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, um, he, I mean, he's, just, he's just a freak of nature, isn't he? He is just an unbelievably brilliant centre-half and as James said, you can see the team's confidence just grow around him. And I can tell you, Costa Simicast will have been about 10 times happier knowing that he was going to be playing next to Virgil van Dijk than if he'd been thrown into that game with, let's put the name out there, with Reese Williams next to him at uh, the left side of centre-half in comparison to van Dijk. No disrespect to Williams, but he's just obviously nowhere going, going to be nowhere near van Dijk's level. Yeah, and I think as well, even we obviously know his distribution, we've spoken about it then. But even if, for example, he plays one of those long passes forward and it doesn't quite get to Salah or Mane, or maybe Salah or Mane's first touch isn't as good, and we do lose possession briefly, it creates a pressing situation immediately, which really high up the pitch, which can obviously be really fruitful in an, an attacking sense as well. So it really is a game changer, I think, for Liverpool's title hopes, having him back this season so fingers crossed he, he can stay fixed he did look brilliant on the weekend before we move on to other things just one final point on on the Norwich game Firmino obviously came off the bench and scored um, great to see him back amongst the goals but an interesting statistic I read this week was that Jürgen Klopp's subs now have 49 goals coming off the bench um, I don't think he's always a manager we associate with brilliant substitutions I think we've spoken on this podcast before that maybe it's a kind of a weakness in his game that sometimes his subs we might think as fans are a little bit strange or they don't always work out. But that stat there just kind of goes to show that maybe 
he's kind of underweight, underrated a little bit in, in a tactical sense, which seems mad to say, as we know how, how brilliant a coach he is. But I think sometimes people see him as a fantastic man manager and someone who's a really good coach, but maybe not so great tactically. Do you think that statistic is an example of how maybe we misjudge him slightly in that sense? Yeah, I'm completely surprised by that that statistic because I think uh, the, there's not many frustrating things about Klopp. Um, you know, you can't really be frustrated with him, but there is a few times where with half an hour to go and you, you want to go down, you want him to bring a, you know a somebody on to change the game and he'll bring that person on with five minutes and it doesn't feel like he's given that player enough time to come on and change the game. But no, I, I, I think... 49 goals from from the players he's got to to deal with as well. I mean, he's he's not bringing on, you know, a, a, a Rashford if Martial's playing, or he's not bringing on, you know, a Jesus if Aguero's not playing from last season. He's dealing with Origi and and Shakiri, no disrespect to the two of them. So he's not bringing on players who we know can change the game straight away. Um, so for him to have the the squad that he's got or the quality in the players he's got and still managed to get 49 goals out of them. I know, you know, since Jurgen Klopp's come in, we've always had a great start in 11, but we've never really had the squad. So, I mean, to get to get 49 from them just goes to show that even from the sideline and, you know, how involved he gets in the game, he does have, you know, the calmness about him to and the cool head uh, to, to know when to make a substitution and when not to. Yeah, I think... Um... Well, a lot of those goals would have come from like uh, Divagarigi and probably um, one of the front three if they were coming back from injury. Um, I'm surprised it's as many as it is, but in all honesty, the the time when I sometimes get frustrated with Jurgen or the two memories that really stick out to me, um, one was against Manchester City last season at the Etihad. And the other one was, I think, in his first season for Liverpool. And it was exactly the same problem. Um, it was the one where I think we were 3-0 up against Southampton at St. Mary's and we drew 3-3 from memory. I think Mane scored twice. I think it was in, the, it was in that year. But anyway, um, I think sometimes he doesn't shore up the midfield. Sometimes is what I've noticed. Sometimes um, if there's, you know, a bit more if the midfield is getting transitioned through quite a lot, which I think is what was starting to happen against Norwich a little bit um, when Bobby came on. And the benefit with having Firmino there is that if you are starting to get dominated through the midfield, then if you bring him on, then he'll drop into that midfield in a way that Jota won't, and he'll stop you from getting outnumbered. And he brings a goal-scoring presence. So I am surprised by that, and I don't, by any means think that Jurgen Klopp is bad tactically or anything like that. Like, quite frankly, if you think that Jurgen Klopp is bad tactically, then you need your head checked. Um, you, don't, you don't win what he has and have the success that he's had if you're bad tactically. That is rubbish. Whether people think that, um, you know, he relies on his assistants or whatever for that. Like, you just, you don't get to his position if you're not very, very good tactically. So, yeah, I mean, can he be frustrating with subs? Yes. Um, am I surprised that the goals for subs are that high? Yes, but that doesn't mean that he's bad tactically. I think 
there's this obsession with everything being black and white. Everyone's either brilliant or crap at something. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he's a brilliant, brilliant manager, and that is just a minor, minor thing that he could possibly tweak. But at the end of the day, he's Jurgen Klopp, and uh, I'm stuck here in um, relative isolation in my room, not getting paid millions of pounds a year to manage Liverpool. So what do I know? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I think we can all agree that he's a great manager. But just before we move on again, what do we think of him without glasses on? Because it's really disconcerting to me that he seems to have some kind of laser eye surgery. And I'm I'm not a fan. Bring back the glasses, Jürgen. <laughs> yeah, it, it does does look a bit strange. You know, you want more of those Norwich 5-4-4-3 moments where his glasses fall off and doesn't look like we'll be getting that anytime soon. Moving on then to more news, I guess. It's not concrete news, but knowing how this podcast goes, it'll probably break while we're on air, as it normally seems to do. Jordan Henderson's contract situation seems to have had a positive development in the last few days. The Athletic have reported that he has now agreed a deal um, with Liverpool for a further three years and then an option of a potential fourth on, on top of that with Jurgen Klopp apparently being a massive factor in in getting that contract done. Like I say, it's not concrete or signed, sealed, delivered as yet. There's no official word from the club. But if we're to go off that report from a pretty reliable source with David Ornstein at The Athletic, it's it's good news, isn't it, James? Yeah, it's absolutely massive for for this group of players and for Jurgen Klopp to have, you know, somebody he can trust on the pitch, you know, leading the team. I mean, I, I never really believed what was reported that Liverpool were willing to sell Jordan Henderson. I just think it was, you know, the journalists putting two and two together and getting five because Wijnaldum had just been allowed to go with a, you know, relatively the same age and, you know, on around about the same amount of money. And, you know, we saw the owners, you know, not really wanting to give, you know, they didn't give Wijnaldum the four years and that's what Henderson would prefer. So, I just think it was people trying to spin a story that wasn't really there, but it's absolutely massive. You, you know, you never want to lose somebody who's brought, you know, the greatest success on the pitch that in my generation as a Liverpool fan, you know, to finally bring home a Premier League title after so long to to be that man. And so I just added, it's, it's the man he is off the pitch as well. I mean, we see him on, on social media. He's very active with, you know, people who suffer online abuse and, and you know, the LBGT community. He's He's very he's just a gentleman off the pitch. He's a gentleman on the pitch. And I don't think, you know, Liverpool could really afford to lose him and just really glad he's going to stay. I think him screaming and swearing, it probably takes away from the gentleman on the pitch, but um, uh, no, 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 no. I'm I'm kidding on that front. He's um, getting him on a contract is huge. Um, I like the report of it being a three-year deal with a possibility for a fourth um, uh, based on appearances because, as we know, you know anything can happen with injuries and that sort of thing. And I think just a straight four or even five-year contract, considering his age, would have been a bit much. Um, yeah, he is an inspirational leader, clearly. Um, he's absolutely loved by the players, the fans and the manager. Um, yeah, it's just a massive boost. Um, I don't think I would imagine that a lot of the interest was drummed up by um, his agent, probably trying to put a little bit of pressure on Liverpool to um, maybe up the terms or come to the table um, a little bit quicker. 
do I believe that Paris Saint-Germain and Atletico Madrid are, um, admire him? Yes, absolutely I do. Do I believe that he would have gone to either of those teams this summer? Absolutely not. Um, there is no way that Liverpool would have sold Jordan Henderson uh, before the final year of his contract, even if they couldn't agree a... Uh, uh, a fee. I think the only the only way it could have happened is in the hypothetical scenario that he was entering the last year of his contract and they didn't want to lose him for a free and he didn't want to end his contract like that. But thank God it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So um, yeah, here's to Mo Salah being the next guy to uh, sign his contract and I'll be a very happy boy. Yeah, fingers crossed on that. We've seen to have done some fantastic work contract-wise this summer. What we've maybe not done so well this summer in the eyes of some fans will be signings, as we've spoken about many times on the show. And I can see Max's face already dropping as I bring this point up before we move on. Um, there's been a couple of outgoings in the last few days, though. Um, well, there's been one outgoing in the last few days. Ben Davies has gone to Sheffield United on loan. Um, and Sheridan Shakiri, obviously it's not confirmed, but it looks like he may be on his way to... Leon, um, I think the clubs are still negotiating that one, but Shakiri definitely seems to be the, the man who, who will be departing out of the attacking options that Liverpool have got. Do we expect if, if the Shakiri goes to Leon or, or elsewhere, um, as it looks like he, he, he will be, do we think we'll have one more face coming into the club before deadline day? I'd like to, th- I'd like to think so. Um... A part to me that, that thinks it, you know, that might happen is how, you know, we've managed to drop the asking price of Shakiri from 15 million euros all the way down to 8 million euros. Just makes me think that Liverpool are just happy to get rid of him for, for a, you know, a decent enough fee um, to bring somebody else in. I think, you know, surely you've got to be sat there now, you know, as Liverpool owners or, you know, Michael Edwards or Jurgen Klopp and see Chelsea signing Lukaku. Kane looking like he could go, still go to City and they've just signed Grealish United, they've got Sancho. You know, surely they must be sitting there thinking that, you know, Liverpool need to strengthen, especially losing Wijnaldum in midfield. And, you know, we've spoke about on this show a few times, crying out for another attacking option. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. If, if they're willing to drop the asking price on Shakiri by, you know, just, just under half, um, makes me think that you know they're just willing to get him out so they can bring a new face in, you know, to comply with the, you know, you have got to have so many homegrown players within the squad. Yeah, um, I think Shakira would be a great pick up for Leon. Actually, if they get him for eight million euros, I think that's an absolute bargain on their front. Even though obviously Liga, um, as is very well publicised, is very short of funds unless that is your owned by a massively funded oil state, um, which unfortunately for them, Leon aren't. Um, yeah, um, I, the reports of the price dropping by around 50% just seems a bit mad to me. Um, un- unless, as James said, someone's being eyed up. I think if someone is going to come in, it would probably be a forward. Um, I, I think that Jurgen Klopp would be pretty happy with his midfield options right now, considering he played an entirely rotated midfield against um, uh, against Norwich, and that wasn't even with Curtis Jones um, around either. So I think he would point out the fact that he's got seven or eight options um, for his midfield if he wants, um, whereas up front... 
the quality drop off from the you know the big four is pretty vast and especially with AFCON coming up we're going to lose I know it's not for a huge amount of league games I think it's only two league games or something like that in that time um but still is a loss and yeah I I think that we'll see a new forward coming in I don't think it's going to be just thinking about it I don't think it's going to be like a 50 million 60 million kind of signing I think if a forward does come in with all the reports of 2022 being the sort of big transfer window um, even though we hear that every single year that is going to be the year after um, then yeah I reckon it will be a 20-25 million pound kind of signing assuming someone does come in um, just to add a, add a bit of a depth option and maybe some, someone who can drop in is a number 10 off the top of my head I can't really think of who fits that bill I'm sure that you know once this podcast is done, I'll think of someone and get really annoyed with myself. But um, yeah, I can't quite think of who fits the bill at that budget at the moment, but I'm sure I'll come up with someone. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see. And God, I hope this transfer window um, ends soon <laughs> so we can get back to the actual football. Next up for Liverpool is the first game of the season at Anfield, which is against Burnley. Team selection-wise, what, what are we expecting for this one? Obviously, the midfield was much changed against Norwich with Kaiser, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Milner. I guess it's hard to say, would you think Henderson and Thiago would sit this one out as well, but maybe Fabinho would come in, James? Yeah, I think that's the one change I'd probably expect to come in. I know there was a behind-the-closed-doors friendly on Sunday against Villa where I think it's reported that Thiago actually played really well in that game and looked really sharp. So I still think it's a little bit too soon for Henderson to be coming in. Um, so yeah, I'd probably say Fabinho would probably come in for Milner and then still carry on with Naby and Ox for the, for the energy and the pace in the midfield. And yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, I wouldn't want to rush Henderson back, you know, given that, you know, we missed so much of last season with injuries and probably go the same with Thiago. They've, you know, they've had long summers. Um, so you probably not want them to be playing as, you know, coming back too soon, getting an injury. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably just go with Fabinho, and I think that'll be enough to you know to beat Burnley anyway. Uh, get everybody ready for the Chelsea game the week after. Yeah, um, I don't think we're going to be seeing um, Henderson or Thiago. We might see them off the bench, possibly. Um, you know, just coming on for twenty minutes or so. You know, if we're struggling to break Burnley down, bring on Thiago for. 20 minutes, if he was capable of doing 80 minutes versus Aston Villa, as has been reported, then um, I can't see why that would be too much of an issue unless they're worried about an impact injury with Burnley's, um, let's say, robust tackling style at times. Um, but yeah, I think Fabinho coming in for Milner would be great because um, last time out, uh, we really struggled with Ashley Barnes being Ashley Barnes and bullying us quite a lot. Um, so having Van Dyke, Matip, and Fabinho, who are all six two plus, um, back there in the middle of the pitch for long balls would be quite nice, I think. Um, and just make it difficult for them for Barnes and Wood to, uh, you know, bring the ball out of the air and hold it up and that sort of thing. We want that happening in as minimal a sense as possible. I think having Ox um, on the pitch will actually be quite important with Burnley playing their pretty standard 4-4-2. 
Um, I think having Ots make those runs through midfield and try and be direct with them at the centre and maybe firing some long shots. Nick Pope's a really good shot stopper. I've no issues with that. But, you know, try and drive a couple of long shots, make him parry it into the centre of the box and don't just play to their strengths. And Because last time we played Burnley at Anfield, all we did was just push the fullbacks really high and just keep slinging crosses in, which... Tarkovsky and, and Ben Mee just, you know, they they love defending that sort of thing. So I think trying to go through the centre a bit more with Cater and also Chamberlain will be really, really helpful. And Diogo Jota's presence will be quite big as well. I imagine someone who's, you know, not reluctant to shoot and is going to find those little pockets of space in the box a little bit more than um, perhaps Bobby can. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm fairly confident um, I imagine that confidence will start to erode the closer we get to match day and my Liverpool-based anxiety will start to come along. But, um, yeah, I, I think that it's um, it's going to be a fairly straightforward kind of first 11 with Fab, the only one who I'd be fairly certain of coming in. And in terms of the centre-backs, do you think it will be Van Dijk and, and Matip again or are we going to have to maybe manage their minutes a bit more because they're both coming back from injuries and we may see a Canate come in for, for his debut perhaps when you consider that the week after is obviously Chelsea and you're going to want Van Dijk and whoever you, you judge his best partner being really on, on point and really up for it against a Lukaku. Do you think the centre-backs might be different in this one? Uh, yeah, I think if, if we're going to expect any change in the back, I think it'll probably be Canate coming in for Matip. I don't think, you know, taking Van Dijk out of the team now would give Burnley a lot of confidence. Um, and especially, you know, like you know, Max spoke about, you know, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes. You don't want to take Van Dijk out and then throw, you know, somebody else in along, you know, alongside of Joe Matip, who's like he says, only just coming back from injury. I think you need Van Dijk on for the confidence that you know he just gives everyone else around him. And we all know how good he is in the air, how strong he is. Um so, yeah, I think we'd have to stick with Van Dijk and then I'd probably bring Canate in. Um, I think that's probably going to be the partnership going forward. Someone quick, strong with, and, you know, we can play out with the ball. And I think that's something that we'll need against Burnley um, because, you know, the way they are with the 4-4-2, I think we're going to have to have someone who is brave enough to come out with the ball and, and, and you know, has got a decent pass on them. So I wouldn't want to give Matt at two games straight away. You know, don't want to rush him back. But, yeah, I'd, I'd throw Canate in. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Kanate and Van Dyke, you've got physical presence to match anyone. Uh, both are, what, 6'4 plus, both built like tanks. Um, so on a physical side, they should be able to more than match uh, Barnes and Wood. Um, Wood is the one who worries me the most. I, I, re- I quite like Chris Wood. I think he's a really decent player. Um, and I think another bonus is John Matic, for all his ability to read the game and pick up on little pockets of space, hasn't got the best recovery pace in the world, I think it's fair to say. Um, So having someone like Dwight McNeil, um, if he beats Trent down down his side, which he has done a couple of times, he has caused Trent problems in the past. Having someone with Canate's pace um, to keep up with McNeil rather than having Matip having a start on the back foot, assuming we are playing a high line, um, I think would be quite big. So, yeah, and and also having a bit more time on the ball, which um, Canate likes to have um, and dribble into midfield to try and um, 
break up that low block, I think this could be the perfect game for Canate to come in. And yeah, Van Dyke has to keep going. Um, he would be, he is the ultimate anti-Burnley uh, defender, really. So uh, yeah, 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 really keen to uh, see Canate come in for him if uh, if possible. But I wouldn't be surprised as well if Jürgen kept massive and I wouldn't have any major issues with him either. Yeah, it's quite nice to have an abundance of centre-backs to talk about for once, isn't it? Other than having to <laughs> Matt Phillips and, and Reese Williams um, like we did last year. But what do we expect from Burnley this season then? Obviously, they've started with a loss against, against Brighton um, on the weekend, which they'll be quite disappointed with, given that they you know, took the lead in the manner they, they conceded quite late on. It seems like Sean Dyche is constantly having to do basically the same thing every single year with not much budget. Do we think this year could be the year that it's all a bit too, it's one season too far almost with that squad because it doesn't seem to have changed very much for the last three or four years, really. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one with Burnley, especially after the takeover they've had. You know, I think people expected a bit more money to be in Sean Dyche's pocket to be able to go out and buy, you know, a few more players. I think there's been rumours they're after uh, Corne, I think it is from Leon. Um you know, if Shakiri does come in, I think they'll look. They'll be looking to let him go, and I think Burnley just, you know, just need something different, um, some more, you know, decent attacking players. You know, someone who's going to create something. You can't rely on, you know, Robbie Brady at his age, and and Dwight McNeil, who it was this going to be his third or fourth season as, as a Premier League regular. You can't be expecting those two to to be, to be the creative ones, and you know, hope that Chris Wood can still do it in the air. But I mean, we keep doubting Sean Dyche year on year. But he always manages to do it. He always seems to know how to get his team to to win games and especially big games as well. Um, I remember on the opening day of the season a few years ago, Burnley went and beat you know, Chelsea 3-1, I think it was. So he knows how to do it. He's been around the league enough times, but I, I think it's sort of like a ticking time bomb, a bit like it was with Stoke. You saw Stoke, you know, mid, mid-table, you know, Burnley got into Europe and then you slowly start to see them slide down and, eventually they slide too far down to be able to come back from. Yeah, I think Max O'Connor would be a great pickup for them. Um, lots of pace, quite direct. Um, not shot shy either, which um, which I quite like, as we saw against Manchester City in the, uh, in the Champions League when he yes. scored quite a lovely goal um, against them. Um, left-footed, happy to play on either wing or even as a left-back, so that would be quite nice. Um, you know, getting a little bit of flexibility for... Um, for Sean Dyche, um, I think if he comes in, that would be a really big boost for them. And also a bit of a um, a boost for Burnley's marketability, I think. You know, a young player coming in from Lyon, who are still, they're not PSG, but they're still a big club. Um, and away away from European football to um, go to Burnley would be a, a big thing for them, I think. And also, I hope it does happen so that Shakiri can uh, attract a few more pounds, possibly, um, with Leon having a bit of cash in their pockets. Uh, yeah, I think, as, as I have said before, I do think this could be the, this could be the season that Burnley drop out, especially if Cornet doesn't come. I just think that there's only so many times that you can do the same formula over and over and over again before it just doesn't work. And it has very, very nearly gone wrong for Burnley before. And I think this could be the season, even though I say that I've watched them come win at Anfield 2-1 now. So, um, yeah, you know, what do I know once again? 
Well, hopefully that's not jinxed Um, but we'll end on, on, on that. And fingers crossed that we get a win on the weekend and we'll be back next week. So James, Max, as always, thank you for your time. Thanks for having us again. Always a pleasure, my friends. And uh, yeah, let's get back to it next week, hopefully after a win at Anfield. Absolutely. It would be great to have fans back in Anfield in full capacity as, uh, as well. Um, but you can still get plenty of content from Anfield Central until then. We have articles going up on our website all the time at anfieldcentral.co.uk and our Twitter will keep you updated with all the latest Liverpool news at Anfield underscore central. Our podcasts are on Acast and Apple Pods. Um, until next week, goodbye. <laughs>